Esther podcast is designed for Christian women who God has called to a career. Our goal is to identify the modern Esther in all women and to leave you feeling empowered with the mission to glorify God in your vocation. Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Esther Podcast, a podcast for Christian women. This week, we are going to be diving into a new fierce woman of the Bible. She should. She first shows up in the book of Joshua. And before we actually get to her story, it's really important to understand the background of the Jewish people at this time. And so I'm just going to start reading a little bit in Joshua 1. So if you want to follow along with me, we see in Joshua 1.1, it says, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promised you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Nagav wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you. I will not abandon you. So be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give you. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions. And it goes down again in verse 9 to say, this is my command, be strong and courageous. And then we see him transition, and Joshua takes that charge, and he commands the officers of Israel in verse 10, and 11 to go through the camp and tell the people to get their provisions ready. In three days, we will cross the Jordan River, take possession of the land the Lord our God has given us. Then Joshua called together with the tribe of Reuben, Gad, half the tribe of Manasseh, and he said, remember what Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. The Lord is going to give you a place of rest. He has given you this land. Your wives, children, and livestock will remain here in the land of Moses, assigned to you on the east side of the Jordan River. But strong warriors, fully armed, must lead other tribes across the Jordan to help them conquer their territory. And then the Lord will give them rest and possess the land that he has given them. And it continues... In verse 16, and with the Israelites responding back to Joshua, it says, We will do whatever you command us. We will go wherever you send us. We will obey you as we obey Moses. And may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your orders does not obey your words or everything you command will be put to death. So be strong and courageous. So that's the background. And it's very important because we see three big themes pop up in Joshua that we need to remember for Rahab's story. So we see that Joshua receives a charge from the Lord. So we see Moses has passed away, which we already talked about when we studied Miriam, that he has passed away. We see that the time period has been about 14 to 20 years when Joshua is now told to take charge over the army and invade into the promised land. That brings us to the next one. We see that the promised land is now revealed. So the Lord's instructions say to enter and claim the promised land. And we see that the promised land is mentioned in verse three. 
and it is defined by these certain borders, right? The Negev Wilderness in the south, the Lebanon Mountains in the north, the Euphrates River in the east, and the Mediterranean Sea in the west. And so what scholars have kind of depicted as this promised land is that it was actually bounded by the Egyptian Empire to the south and the Mesopotamian to the north, but it wasn't actually ruled by either of them. And inside this land was actually all of these Canaanite villages or cities all different tribes. And so all of them had a different quote unquote king. And so when we see that, we see that Joshua throughout the book of Joshua will have to lead this Jewish army into conquering all of those different tribes. And so this is terrifying. He knows this. He knows that they're occupied by all these different Canaanite tribes that they're probably fierce, that they probably have more battle experience because tribes tend to fight each other more. Um, You can see that not only in scripture, but if you just watch a Netflix documentary about the Vikings, which apparently I really love the Vikings, they're constantly fighting each other. The different tribes are fighting each other. So it was very similar back here. So they had experience in fighting and Joshua might not have had a lot. And so that's terrifying to think that not only am I being put in charge of all of the Israelites' people, but then being put in charge to fight and lead an army. Um, but the people respond to Joshua in the same way that the Lord does. Be strong and courageous. In the first part of Joshua 1, we see the Lord tell Joshua three times, be strong and courageous. And then we see the Israelite people respond to Joshua with saying, we got your back. Be strong and courageous. And this becomes extremely important because it was mentioned four times. So we're not only going to see it become important in chapter two, but I kind of want to stop here for a second because in a very short period of time, Joshua needed encouragement three times from God to be strong and courageous, one time from the people, God speaking through them. So it's okay sometimes to understand that we need encouragement. Even though God had already, you know, put 12 plagues on Egypt, delivered all the Israelites from Egypt, split the Red Sea, gave them provision and protection to live in the desert for 40 years, not only just giving them shelter, but providing water, manna, and quail from the heavens. They still needed assurance. They still needed to hear God say, be strong and courageous. I am with you. And I think that that is extremely important when we kind of compare uh, their perspective of constantly needing reassurance with Rahab's perspective in the city of Jericho. So kind of switching gears and moving to why Rahab becomes so important, we see her mentioned in Joshua 2. So starting in Joshua 2, verse 1, it says, Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Akashia Grove, He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men, only two, set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab, stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, Yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk, and as the gates were about to close, I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up to them. 
So actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath the bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossing of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror, for we have heard the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Shahan and Og, the two Amorite kings in the east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me that guarantee. When when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all their families. So I'm going to stop there and we're going to continue on in later weeks. But I wanted to quickly point out that transition of being strong and courageous in the first part and how God is right encouraging Joshua in that. And then we see a woman who has not witnessed what Joshua and the Israelites have witnessed, yet she says no one has the courage to fight you. She admits their fear. And without even seeing all of God's things, just hearing about them, proclaims God to be the supreme God. Now, before we dive in really quick to Rahab and a bunch of themes, I wanted to give a little bit of facts about her. So we see right away that she is described as a harlot or an innkeeper, but really she was a prostitute. And um, and where the prostitutes and other people of outcasts would live was they would actually live in the walls of Jericho. So Jericho was built as a double wall where there would be an outer wall and an inner wall, and there would be that space between. And so in a lot of my research, I realized that that space between was was often quoted as the place where Rahab lived. It was that space between, those rooms in between the outer and inner wall. And that space between is going to be really important. We know from Matthew that she's in the lineage of Jesus, and we're going to talk about that in the next coming episodes, and how she was only four women of all the women that are actually listed in the lineage of Jesus. And we see by her kind of, I guess, deceiving the army men that she was in a power, in a place of power to kind of deceive them, which would mean that the men had to give her that power, which would mean that they would have to trust her. So she seems to be very trustworthy. Even though she did lie, she was doing it to protect the the Jewish spies, and they even trusted her, as we'll see in upcoming weeks. So she was a very trustworthy person, which in order to be trustworthy, she had to earn that. And that becomes, I think, interesting when kind of developing the character of Rahab. And and for me, when I was first studying this, I had a lot of questions about Rahab in general. 
Um, so I wanted to go through the four questions that I had and hope, hopefully maybe during this episode and the upcoming episodes as we study her together, we can answer these questions. If you have any questions about her or any women, please send me you know, an email. We can talk about it and I can you know, bring it up in the podcast. But the first question I had was, how did she become a prostitute? I Even you know, this day and age when I see prostitutes or hear about that lifestyle, and sex trafficking, I always wonder, well, how, how does that even come about? I mean, sometimes people don't have the choice. And I actually do believe that for Rahab. Um, I believe that based on the time period and how old she would have been, she would have been around 50 years old. And other scholars believe that she would have probably been a prostitute for about 40 years, which would make her 10 when she started, which doesn't really seem old enough to make, you know, decisions for herself. And yet she's still asking for help for her father, mother, and her family. So they must have been very desperate. They might have sold her. Again, this is not in scripture. This is just kind of going from outside sources. But it would be kind of interesting to know, you know, how did she become a prostitute? And and if that really was her choice, because it seems like she can't wait to get out. And then... Why would Rahab, second question is, why would Rahab be chosen? Why would God choose Rahab? And he could have chosen anybody. He could have chosen the king or he could have chosen the king's assistant or the cupbearer. I mean, he used, God uses people all the time. So why would it be a prostitute? And why would it be an outcast of the city? And then not only that, but then why would then she later be considered so worthy to be in the lineage of Christ? And I think that that and the next question kind of go together of why was, what was Rahab's true character? It says in scripture that man looks at outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And I believe that God sees people beautiful and not beautiful based on the character of their heart. And I think that in this study, we're really going to see Rahab's true character come out. And we actually do begin to see a little bit of how trustworthy she is with the men, like I mentioned before, but also she was ready to proclaim God without really knowing anything about him, just having heard about him. And that represents extreme faith. And we're going to see her faith just grow through this story. The fourth question that I had was, did God need Rahab as much as he needed the spies? And of course, I mean, the, the, I mean, the most basic answer is God doesn't need anybody, but was there another way? You know, I've always learned, and, you know, I'm sure you have too when you're studying scripture, that God's will will be accomplished no matter what. But for those who want to be a part of his story, maybe like Rahab, he never turns away. So reading her story, a lot of themes immediately jump out. But one theme that... I wanted to talk about today was what do you do when you're living in the space between? So that space between, again, that that was kind of haunting for me, that space between the walls. It seemed very um, poetic and maybe ironic because I feel like a lot of times when I'm talking with my girlfriends or just like with other people just kind of struggling in their faith or struggling with where God wants them to go, they talk about a waiting room. And a waiting room is literally a space between, you know, purgatory. It's the space between heaven and hell. It's just this space. So that you don't really know, you know, what you're, you know, what's going to happen next and you don't have a plan and you're kind of searching for one. And I think that 
as she was literally living in that space between, she exemplified a lot of character qualities that we can take from her story. So, for example, she was not lazy. Um, It seems to be from scripture and from research that even though she was a prostitute, she seemed to, to be the madam of the brothel. And whether or not she kind of got herself into that situation and chose that life maybe, or, you know, what I tend to believe is possibly she was kind of thrown into it and that was the only life she knew. Um, She didn't seem to blame anybody for her situation and she didn't feel less worthy to help. I think a lot of times when we get stuck in a situation because of mistakes in our past or maybe things that have done to us, by other people and we believe those words and we believe our own toxicity and other people's toxic comments to us, we can believe them more than we believe in what God has called for us. So we were just at church this morning actually. And I thought that it was really interesting because he was talking all about forgiveness, right? And how you, there's some people who have said things to you that you constantly have to forgive and how you throw it away and you think it's gone, but just like a candle, like a trick candle on a birthday cake, you can blow out and it'll just relight. It comes back, right? You're constantly having to ask for forgiveness. Well, there are haunting comments of you're never going to be good enough. You're not going to be a good father. You're not going to amount to anything to look at. You're not very smart. All of those haunting things maybe that someone has told you or the sins that you that have put you on a road such as like the prodigal son that we see Jesus talk about where he left, you know, and got himself in a bad situation, you tend to maybe believe that you either deserve it and you can't get out of it. But no matter how stuck you feel, your worth is not determined by your situation. We see that in one thirty nine fourteen, it says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderful, wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. And the truth is we are his works. And we see him claim us as a masterpiece in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. His, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. And God is watching out for us always. He was all like he was watching out for Rahab. He saw her before she knew of him. So I think one answer to the question of why Rahab is she was on the lookout for him. While she was in that space between, why she felt stuck, she didn't let that take her down. She was constantly looking. And when she heard about this God who parted the Red Seas, she was ready to believe in something bigger than herself. And not only that, she was ready to proclaim him with her tongue. That's a big one that a lot of people don't think is important, but you can believe in your heart, but it, but I mean, even the demons believe in God. Are you going to proclaim him? And then are you on the lookout? Are you on the lookout like Rahab? Sometimes we settle for what we think we deserve, right? But that's not what God's best is. And I was trying to think about how we as women can settle. Um, I think at different areas and stages of your life, you can settle for a job. You can settle for a lifestyle. And maybe that's not really what God's best is for you. Um, For single women, I think a lot of people can settle for 
a boyfriend and eventually maybe a husband that really isn't what God wanted for them. I think that God can still bless that relationship. I've seen him do it. I think that, you know, two people who believe in God and turn their life around to God can definitely serve God. I mean, there's many stories of when a woman believes and and she can pray for her husband and he starts believing or vice versa. But is that God's best? You know, I don't know. But I think that if you're praying about your husband, he reveals that. I mean, I dated, gosh, 12 guys, I think, before I married Derek. And I know that's a lot. And you guys are probably thinking, oh, my goodness. Well, it's okay. I mean, you can judge me all you want because it was experiences I needed to go through. I needed to date these guys to to truly have faith and believe that there there was someone that God had for me. And I think that when I was praying throughout these relationships, I remember getting this gut feeling and nothing would sometimes be wrong with these guys. Sometimes they would be the sweetest guys and some of them even really love Jesus. But I was just like, that's not who God has for me. And Derek hearing his story, it was very similar. It would, it would just be like, no, they're really good people. And some of them maybe weren't right. But that's not who God has for you. And I think if you're constantly praying about that now as you're single, I, I believe that maybe that transition into marriage might be a little bit more settling to your spirit. Um, Mary ladies, um, I know like being married, it brings its own difficulties because two personalities are living under one roof and marriage is fun. I mean, I was just listening to a sermon about marriage this week and they said that the hardest years of marriage seemed to be between the years of five and eight and what was it? 18 and 20, I think. And so it's kind of, I'm like, well, what happens? And it's like, oh, well, life happens, right? Finances, uh, family members get sick, kids are in school, you're trying to figure out how to pay for college and all those things come crumbling down. If you don't go together as a team and you don't fight for your marriage, you just end up fighting in the divorce. So fight for your marriage, ladies, seek God's help and, <clears throat> and, and don't wait, you know, don't wait. Mothers. Oh, this is something my mom has definitely poured into me. Don't wait to pray for your children's faith. Um, I have definitely learned this from my mom. She is constantly praying for all of her children's faith and her grandchildren's faith. And that's one thing she told me, you know, pray for her faith now, pray for your baby's faith now, and maybe expectant mothers or mothers that are trying to get pregnant, pray for that, um, unborn child or pray for that child that, is not yet even conceived because God will bless those prayers. And even if they stray from it, if you are raising them up in Christ, they will come back. Um, but don't wait to pray until they stray, you know, continue to pray now. And then working ladies, the last charge is to you to be a light. And that is one of the hardest things because it is, I do not know why, but I find sometimes when I am so stressed at school or whatever, that it is just so hard to not gossip and so hard to just be that Christian person and not even like, quote unquote, that Christian person, but just be a true follower of Christ to represent his light to others. I don't know why that's so hard, but but I, I really had to start praying like, God, fix my heart, fix my grace, fix forgiveness, fix fix me so I can be a better reflection of you and, and 
not be scared to talk about my faith in a way that will bring others to Christ. So if there is somebody that is, you know, at, you know, if you're in school, if there's a friend that you have in class, or if there's a person at work in the office that you kind of see struggling, I think it's okay to say, I'm praying for you and and really pray for them. Don't wait to pray for them, but also don't tell them, don't wait to tell them that you're going to pray for them. Tell them. Because I think they need to know, like someone is in their corner and believe it or not, whether or not they believe in prayer or believe in God, that will mean a lot. And I, and I don't say any of this to, to all of you different ladies to say that I have it all together. I, I definitely don't. And God is constantly fixing me. It's crazy how untogether I am. Uh, but I, I think that like just constantly being reminded of like not waiting in that space between to not be lazy and to just continually seek him. This kind of talking about this subject reminded me of um, the term God moments. And I don't know, some of you might, you know, be aware or know what I'm referring to, but it's that moment when you are lost, distraught, confused, doubting, all of the above. And then boom, God does something that shows you he is there. And he is present and he is listening to you. And it can be as something as small as you turned on the radio and you needed to hear that exact same song or someone texting you. I remember, I mean, here's a, one of the examples or one of my God moments was I was really struggling in grad school. There was a lot going on um, with family and sickness. And it seems like I was going to a funeral every six months. And on top of that, I was, I've never been great handling money. I mean, that's something that I still pray about all the time is God make me better at that and mold me in that. And, and I was really struggling. I was in my mid twenties and not getting paid a lot and living by myself and trying to figure out how in the world am I going to pay my credit card bill because I was a hundred dollars short. And I, I could have asked my parents. I mean, I know they are so wonderful. They would have been giving it to me, but I think I had just done that so many times and I had just gotten to this place of true embarrassment and disappointment in myself and feeling stuck. Like I just didn't know what to do. Just was so distraught and felt like a failure in a lot of ways. And knowing that if I didn't pay this bill and if I didn't come up with a hundred dollars, the interest rates would be extremely high and I would just regret everything. And so on my walk home, I was praying about a lot of stuff. And then I was like, you know, God, like just provide somehow, some way, if I need to sell something, let me know what I need to sell, but just, I know you can do it. So just please, like it would just make my life easier right now. I'm, I'm drowning. There were so many things going on. I'm drowning. And I went to my mailbox and a white envelope with Noah Turner dress was in it. And I opened it and it said, Danielle, I know you've been going through some tough times. And I feel like God wants you to have this. Love a friend. And I kid you all not, it was for exactly $100. And I just remember falling to my knees. <laughs> thanking him because it was not just $100, Right. It was God saying, I know that what you're really asking for is relief from family sickness and relief from funerals and relief from pressures of grad school. And you just, and you needed to know I'm here by me giving you a hundred dollars, by me answering one prayer. Please see and understand that I'm going to be faithful in your others. Kyle Eidemann 
in his book, Aha, The God Moment That Changes Everything, says, only when things start to fall apart do we finally open our eyes. And that's the thing about God moments. You have to open your eyes to see them. Rahab was alert. She was in that space between, but she was on the lookout and she was ready for her God moment. The question is, are you? God, thank you so much for that $100 all those years ago and for just continuing to give me all these beautiful God moments. And I just pray for women who have not received them yet and are kind of wondering what they are, that you just give it to them, that they just pray and you just open their eyes to see you. God, please don't ever leave me. Please don't ever stop doing that for us. Thank you so much for just loving us that much that you would care about a credit card bill. We love you and just um, keep our hearts pure for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, ladies, thank you so much for joining us, um, or me, sorry, um, this week. And I hope to hear hear from you all on commodinesterpodcast at gmail.com with any questions or stories that you might have. You can follow us on iTunes and Stitcher and share the link on Facebook with your friends. Um, And I hope that you are going to be excited for next week as we continue in our story of Rahab. And until then, you guys have a wonderful week and God bless. Thank you.